we acknowledge the original owners of the land on which we podcast, whose stories were told for thousands of years. Today, we are recording in Mianjin. We pay our respects to elders past and present who may be listening. Sovereignty was never ceded. A quick note before we get started that there may be some swearing in today's podcast. If you don't like swearing or usually listen with children in the car, you have been warned. You're listening to What in the NDIS, the news, a podcast where I, Hannah Redford, and my friend, Sam Rosenbaum, discuss all the hot topics out of the NDIS. Hey, loyal listeners, we now have a Patreon. If you are interested and able to support the ongoing production of this podcast, please take a moment to check it out. There will be a link in the podcast description and on our socials. Patreon is a subscription service where content creators like us can be directly supported by fans like you. Thank you for your consideration. Hey, Sam, how are you going? Hey, good thanks. How about yourself? Yeah, good. I had an enjoyable night on Friday night at Connect Fest with you. Yeah, it was a great little event and uh, I loved the... Uh... The balloon lady giving us our little hats. Yes. Yours was quite colourful and, and tall. That was flamboyant and extravagant and ridiculous all at the same time. It was fantastic. Um, for those at home, uh, Hannah and I went to a Connect Fest run by the wonderful Karen Lorenzon, who we had in one of our episodes. And um, the, I was talking with uh, one of the children's entertainers out the front and Hannah and I were sitting at the event together, just sort of enjoying our the pre-networking part. And there were, we sort of was watching her out the window blow make these balloon hats. And she just kept on adding more and more balloons and all more and more things to it. And there was like little white small balloons with little eye boggly eyes at the end of it. And then next thing you know, there's there's a light involved. And Hannah and I are just, just chatting ourselves, going, This is ridiculously elaborate. And next thing she know, she's walked in and um, found me and gone, here's this for you, which just added some more of the ridiculous of my outfit, which at that point in time was a, a two-piece short and T-shirt, jelly bean printed multicolored atrocity. Love that. Love it my was, colorful It was outfit. amazing. It was something to <laughs> behold. That's for sure. Um, but yeah, this hat just just definitely made for the piece. I'm pretty sure there are photos floating around on Facebook and LinkedIn for those social stalkers out there. Oh yes, and, and the photos are quite amazing. That they are indeed. But yeah, no, it was a great night. It was a good little good little gathering. Great great contacts. Great providers there. Great little event that Karen runs. Yeah, I've been really loving her Christmas series. I think they've been fantastic as a way to wrap up the year and have a bit of a drink with those that we have become acquainted with. And yep. it's it's been great. Yeah, it's been a wonderful vibe. So today we're bringing the news. So the NDIS released its quarterly report, which is always fun. So here are some quick fire stats to get us started. There are now 
631,529 participants on the NDIS. Wow, that's a pretty decent number there. Lots of participants looking for lots of support. Participation in the community and social activities and work have increased by 7 and 11% respectively. Participant perceptions of whether the NDIS has helped have risen across the reporting categories, including participants who feel positively about the choice and control the NDIS has helped with is up to 77% from 67%. So that's quite an increase. Mm. Then satisfaction across the four stages of the NDIS planning process has risen slight, very slightly overall. Average plan budgets have increased by 15%, which is good news for participants. And interesting because they said plan budgets would only increase by 8%, which was a reduction from 16% as their target. So, And then when you also look at when providers are seeing plans in, in their day-to-day, I'm sure we've got some listeners out there who could question that figure. But um, that has to mean some people are definitely getting more supports at least, hopefully. Total scheme payments continue to increase due to both increased participant numbers and higher average cost per participant. So that may be part of it. Highly likely. Service standards experience have improved with 9 out of 17 PSG timeframes met in 95% of the cases. 79% of complaints in the report period closed within 21 days, which is a decline from previous periods. So 21% of complaints are taking more than 21 days. Yeah. We also know that there's um, quite a big number, an increase of actual complaints being made through to the commission at the handling. So hopefully that funding that Bill Sean was talking about earlier in this year comes through to help relieve that. A review of re- reviewable decisions have decreased as a percentage of active participants, as have AAT reviews. Core support for daily activities, social and community participation, and capacity building for daily activities remain the largest support categories, obviously, because they're the two main biggest categories. I don't know yeah. why they needed well, to say that. Well, <laughs> look, there's... there's Data is good at stating facts sometimes, though. So <laughs> data is it, data. It's got to equate to one hundred percent somehow. So they've got to summarize it, but like sometimes the obvious. <laughs> <laughs> so pace has been introduced and uh, started its full rollout and is being inc- implemented incrementally. So Bill Shorten outlined six reforms that he would like to see. Number one. Investing in the NDIA's workforce capability and systems, resulting in better consistency and equity in decision-making for access and planning decisions for NDIS participants. Number two, better supporting NDIS participants to manage their plans within budget, including assistance from the NDIA throughout the plan period and hold plan managers, support coordinators and providers into account. 
Number three, implementing a new lifetime planning approach to ensure plans are more transparent and flexible for life events. Number four, improving the way the NDIA provides supported independent living or SIL and to ensure participants receive the right NDIS funding for home and living supports as they need to live as independently as possible. Five, supporting participants to make purchase decisions to buy the right products or services to meet their needs, including through preferred provider panels and the use of support coordinators. Well, you'd need to give us more support coordination hours to start with if you want us to do more work. So Mm. there's that. Yeah, well, there's uh, lots of questions here. Um, Improve the way the NDIA monitors compliance and prevents fraud within the scheme is number six. And we've already seen quite a bit of action happen in that compliance space and enforcement. And I definitely welcome Tracy Mackey and the NDIA stepping in to more of that enforcement regulation point rather than and tightening down this cowboy Wild West sort of NDIS disability space we've run into with the uh, market environment that we've got. Mm-hmm. The Commonwealth Government has announced to an investment of $720 million over four years from this year through to next year to support these reforms. In other exciting news to hand... Elaborating on information contained in the quarterly report, the NDIS has highlighted the positive impact the NDIA has made on lives of young NDIS participants. Impacts improvements noted for this cohort include increased participation in community and social activities is up by 7% to 42%. Participation in work doubling for participants in the ages between 15 and 24. Decision-making through the Administrative Appeals Tribunal, or AAT, has been made faster due to targeted alternative dispute resolution initiatives being implemented. These alternatives include the Independent Expert Review Program, IER, which was trialled during the last 12 months. The IER program involved legal and disability experts who are independent of both the participant and the NDIA, reviewing the matter being disputed before making a recommendation for an appropriate resolution. Since implementing this and other improvements, the overall caseload of the AAT has reduced by 35.5%. Additionally, 90% of the 4,501 legacy cases waiting to be heard by the AAT by June 2022 have now been resolved, which is massive. Yes, well, it it goes to show when you don't throw lawyers to grandstand and backlog cases that things can move. Uh, Amazing, isn't it? (laughs) Surprising. Not at all. Further to that, the NDIA released the IER evaluation report recently, which goes into more detail. Participants and their representatives typically reported a very positive experience. According to the report, especially compared with the AAT process, 
Participants reported they wanted to see the following improvements to be implemented to the IER. Have the IER review matters earlier in the dispute resolution process and the recommendations made should be binding. So at the moment, the recommendations from the IER are not binding and the NDIA and their lawyers do not have to sign off on it and create the plan from there. However, I have been watching through a few different spaces about the IER program. I do feel like there's mixed opinions about how it works. So I'll be interested to read the the evaluation report in more detail. The NDIS Qualities Safeguards Commission has escalated its regulatory responses to NDIS behaviour support providers who do not comply with the requirements of the NDIS Act and related rules. Scrutiny is focused on the reduction and elimination of restrictive practices in the development of behavioural support plans and the new regulated restrictive practice summary and protocols document is available on the NDIS Commission website. Uh, Tracy Mackey was recently quoted saying, the regulations of a specialist behavioural support provider is subject to the conditions that the regulated restrictive practice included in a behavioural support plan must, amongst other things, be used as only as a last resort and be the least restrictive response, reduce the risk of harm, be proportionate and be used for the shortest time possible. Providers who breach conditions of their registration by not meeting any of these requirements will be held account and may be subject to compliance enforcement action. In a recent letter on the 23rd of October this year, the Acting Deputy Commissioner advised all providers that the NDIS Commission has escalated its complaints and enforcement approach and urged all providers to take immediate action to ensure compliance with the rules about unauthorized regulated restrictive practices, which has been quite evident in the last couple of months in news articles and enforcement action taken by the um by the NDIS Commission. There are over 3,000 providers registered to use regulated restrictive practices. Common contraventions include failures to one, authorize restrictive practices in accordance with the authorization process. Two, develop a behavior support plan within the time frame. Three, lodge a behavior support plan with the commission. Four, Use restrictive practices in accordance with behaviour support plan. Five, meet requirements for how a behaviour support plan is developed and meet requirements for contents of a behaviour support plan. Which is kind of ridiculous because these are all basic compliance mechanisms and if they're common conventions, that means a lot of the 3,000 providers out there are making really bad mistakes. Yeah. You would you would think that if you are registered to provide restrictive practices that you understand that you must follow these few requirements. Yeah, and using restrictive practice in accordance with behavioral plan, support plan implies that either we're not training staff to how to read or implement 
and lead behavioral support implementation properly. And the systems and workflows are not there within the provider. Because if it, you're getting audited and then clearly you've got the documentation, but now it's an implementation and an operational problem, which is mind-blowing to sort of think about within the sector. The NDIS, Quality and Safeguards Commission, has released a set of resources to support the Workforce Capabilities Framework. This is aimed at improving service quality. The resources set the attitudes, skills, and knowledge of all workers funded under the NDIS. Uh, tools and guides include recruitment and selection resources, workforce management, planning tools, and strategy documents, supervision and training guidance, a career options guide for current workers, and the self-assessment quiz for workers interested in the sector. I have to pull up on that last point. A self-assessment quiz, Sam. What the heck is that? <laughs> well, a self-assessment or what it probably could be more related to is a self-reflection because a self-assessment, if you're looking at it from a, a trying to get into an application, you want it to be shiny as as what it would be, as it could be to get you into a uh, whatever you're trying to get into. In this application, what I'm thinking is it is a real reflection of your skill sets individually and what you're wanting to do as a support worker or a professional within this sector and sort of map out this, the goal, goals and the skills that you require to get there in terms of what you're wanting to support. So for example, if you're entering the, the, the sector and you're starting out as a support worker at Yoblo Support Services, and you're like, I want to get into, I really like this. I want to look at this as a long-term career. And you start looking at what you want to niche or specialize in, or let's say you get into mental health. So then you sort of look at this to get it, or like you'd look at the, the quiz around what your personality uh, types are, what sort of things you may or may like to, and then where it would progress from there. I doubt personally that it's quite that in depth because I think you well, are thinking all the other far thing is maybe we true about maybe it we retract it and retract this and go on and have a look what it's, it is because it's currently live and I haven't I've seen it I haven't done it no well that's fine we can I'm happy for us to just speculate because for a second this a it's funny b <laughs> I think this is funny one of the issues is how many people are really going to find this on the Quality and Safeguard Commission website for one thing? Well, it's not even actually on the commission work. It's, it's got its own website. Secondly, then then that's a problem. Okay, nobody's going to find it is the number one problem. Well, it's, it's, I'll, I'll challenge that. I know there's quite a few providers that are looking at it. Good. But. The workers that it really should be targeting is the ones that I see a lot who seem to roll out of bed one morning and go, you know what a cute job would be? Being a support worker. Oh, yeah. See, and this, this, this doesn't get you there. they roll in and do a crap-ass job. And if they had a quiz, potentially they'd be able to stop for a second and, and take a take a second, but I think then you'd have to present this quiz to like everyone who applies for the NDIS sector screening 
card or something so that you can prove that you at least spent five seconds thinking about becoming a support worker. Well, the, the part of the, the top the top point there, recruitment and selection resources. This also needs to the providers need to think about this same point because when you, or or participants as well, when you're looking at engaging a support worker, uh, hiring a support worker, contracting a support worker, whatever it may be, these are sort of things that you need to be thinking about as well to ensure that they're suitable or compatible for your organization for your support circle. It goes a long way, but for that type of profile of support worker that you're mentioning is unfortunately going to be the proactive type to jump onto the workforce capabilities framework, find the self-assessment quiz and and run through it in the first place. Mm. What providers possibly need to do is start thinking about how how they question some of have a look at the quiz themselves, Mm. see where they sort of fit into it. And um, then look at some of those questions and how you can apply your recruitment and selection process to apply some of that thought process as well. The next news item is providers need to move to the new pricing arrangements for group-based social and community participation supports by the 31st of December or the 1st of January, really. A series of presentations which are available in the episode notes have been developed to help providers move to the new pricing arrangements. Also, they have been trying to do this for the past two years. So if you have not been able to wrap your head around it by this point, I think you should stop providing group-based community participation supports (laughs) because we can't help you at this point. <laughs> yeah, the the cutoff and the transition period has been very generous. There's uh, a lot of providers are already working with it and they're seeing some real benefits in their processing, in their funding model. So it is a beneficial thing to really start wrapping your head around. Participants, if you haven't, if your provider hasn't jumped the transition yet, uh, there are sort of some changes that you'll see there where it comes to non-face-to-face uh, costs and how they charge for center, center-based fees. So have a chat with your provider there about what those changes look like for you if you don't understand them and, and what, they, what they actually are essentially. The NDIS SDA calculator has been updated. There are no longer separate calculators for legacy existing stock and new build SDA. Um, they've all been merged into a singular, singular calculator available on the NDIS website. For anyone not familiar with the calculator, it sets out a determination for maximum and reasonable rent contributions, or MRRC, and funding amounts for shared living arrangements. This is great. I'm glad they're trying to make it easier for SDA providers because that's... Everything to simplify people's lives is always good. Yes. Our favourite document, Sam, the PayPal or the pricing arrangements and price limits document has been (laughs) updated on Tuesday the 28th of November. It has an improved pricing arrangements for some travel costs. These include extra support items for provided travel non-labour costs, which will allow participants to use core budget support when the capacity building funds are not flexible or available. 
the NDIS has updated the PAPL to explain how this item allows a participant to pay a provider to transport them to an activity even if the activity is not considered a support. For example, driving the participant to work. Interesting news, though, in recent events in compliance world. Two people have been charged and barred from delivering supports to NDIS participants after fraud investigations by the Fraud Fusion Task Force, or the FFT, which is the task force including the NDIA and Australia for the Federal Police. This follows an NDIA, so an agency staff member, being arrested and charged after a investigation revealed they had disclosed protected agency information to a third party. This has been classified as a data breach by the NDIA. The information disclosed included following details of participants' records on the NDIA systems, which included full name, date of birth, gender, and address. There are also some cases where additional information was disclosed. This relates to participants and their related parties, which is a massive... Massive concern. Yeah. And breach of trust that we all have in the workforce at the NDIA to keep our stuff to themselves and, you know, a whole bunch of things. It's really very scary. The the other scary part about this is there is a connection between two of the people that were staff of the agency having interest in a provider. So not only are they working for the agency, they have interest in in, in an actual NDIS provider as well which from what I can understand is where some of the information may have been leaked to. So you use as a a public sector person using their position to leverage and this is lots of questions here. It's big no-nos, big, big no-nos. These people are going to have a hard time finding a job in the future. And I'm sure that this will sort of unravel quite a few more things that have yet to come out of the work, but we'll, we'll see what the, um, the task force has to disclose when they finish their investigations. Yeah. Now, Sam, Bill Shorten's going to make an address soon on the 7th of December. Can you tell me a little bit more about it? Yeah, he's running a press club address on the 7th of December, around lunchtime Eastern Standard Daylight Time. So there's lots of speculation at the moment that this is when they're going to release or should likely be confirming when they'll release the NDIS review and maybe a look in it to when we will expect some response to the recommendations from the government. I'm excited to get this review because we have waited a very long time for it and I'm a little sick of waiting, to be honest. Yeah, understandable. And I think, well, it's probably a good thing that we had Bill Shorten and the Labor government come in because we could have been waiting a little bit longer for this. But overall, we'll we'll see, sort of have to still wait and see what happens. Hopefully it's some good news. Yes, well, we'll. I'm sure there will be um, mixed responses all around. There will be, as any sort of thing, some good, some bad, some ugly, some really good. So we'll just sort of have to see where where things lie within that. And we will bring you that as soon as we can after the 7th of December. Well, I think that's a wrap for today, Hannah. 
Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's a wrap for today, Hannah. <laughs> Well, when we not well, signing thanks. off, are we? Yeah. Thanks for reading the news with me, Sam. It was fun, Hannah. I always love a good news segment. Yeah, and and being able to talk to yourself. Indeed, as always. And we'll see you on the next episode. Yes. Bye. Thank you for listening. Please share with people you know. Until next time, as the Green Brothers say, don't forget to be awesome.